today is what we're going to talk about is, yesterday we talked about the Holy Spirit, his, what He does in our life. Where is He taking us? Where does all of this lead to? The deeper life. What's the whole point of it? What's the whole point of the, the working of the Holy Spirit? We talk about sanctification. I preach Wednesday night on being holy. What's the whole point? Where is the Holy Spirit taking us? You remember the story I told you about the little boy drawing a picture on his dad's, his grandpa's living room floor? And he said, what you drawing? He said, I'm drawing a picture of God. And his grandfather said, I didn't know anybody knew what God looked like. The little boy said, well, they will when I'm done drawing him. I was in prayer. And I said to God, what in the world are you doing to me? Why this pain? Why this heartache? Why this frustration? What in the world is going on? And the Holy Spirit said, I am trying to chisel, chisel the image of Christ in you. And I said, what good will it do? Nobody knows what he looks like. To which he said, they will when I'm done with you. He is interested in transforming you into the image of Christ. And as C.S. Lewis said, we are to be little Christ. Not deity, not God, but our character should reflect Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you something. That will be one of the most winsome things in all the world. When a group of people start reflecting the image of Christ. When you reflect the image of Christ, your husband will come nosing around. Your kids will come nosing around. Your grandkids will say, you know, Papa, Nana, when they get old enough to discern, talk to me. How can I? I want to be like you. How can I be like you? And what an open door to talk to them about Christ. This is the verse we started with, but we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. We're being transformed into that same image. Ladies and gentlemen, it's not so much my worry that you're going to go out and commit adultery and, and, and all those bad things. My big fear for you is you're going to sit on a church pew and enjoy the worship and never be transformed at all. Never change. Always talking about change, but never really changing. It's the Word of God that will transform us. Paul said, for He predestined us to be conformed to the image of His Son. And John said it like this. When Christ appears, we shall be like Him. So this is where it's going. One of the primary tasks of the Holy Spirit is to make us holy. And holiness in a word is God-taught, spirit-wrought Christ-likeness. That's what holiness really is. So what does it look like to be Christ-like? Well, I'm going to give you four simple things. First of all, Christ-likeness is self-giving love. And a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. Self-giving love. You ever met a person that's all about them? The whole conversation about them. They, you know, I, I, meet, the, I meet husbands sometimes. Yeah. Uh, one guy said, my wife serves me in my recliner. 
He said, she shaves me every morning. I'm not joking. He thought this was the way marriage ought to be. The truth of the matter, he was a self-absorbed, self-centered fella. It ain't about you. It ain't about me. It's about him. And self-giving love. I don't really have time to give you all the illustrations I'd love to give you on that. I, my notes don't have all of those written out, but that's what it is. It's self-giving love. It's easy, relaxed obedience. There was a young lady that came to our school from another tradition, and she kept hearing me talk about holiness, and our teachers talk about holiness and about living a holy life. She came to me one day early in the semester, and she said, Brother Avery, I hear all this talk about holiness. I never heard that in my church. What in the world are you talking about? Will you tell me? I said, sure. We'll sit down and have a long talk. And she took off, and I got busy, and the whole semester almost went by. And toward the end of the semester, I heard that there was a boy on campus wanting to date her. And uh, she told him, she said, if you're going to date me, you've got to call my dad. And you have to get permission from my dad, or I'm not going to date you. I think that's, I don't think that's archaic. I think that's good. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. It's not in the Bible. She uh, said, you got to call my dad. So he got up the courage, called Pop. I knew Pop. He was a rough cuss. He was a rough customer. And uh, Pop said, uh, nope, you're not dating my daughter now, tomorrow, or ever. I mean, just zzz. I saw her about two weeks later, and I said uh, to her, I called her name, and I said, oh, by the way, I heard you and I called his name are talking about dating. How's that going? She said, oh, you didn't hear? I said, no, hear what? She said, he asked my dad, and my dad said no. And stupidly, I said, oh, I am so sorry. And this girl said to me, I can still see her. She held up her hands like this. She said, oh, Brother Avery, don't feel sorry for me. That's what God gives us parents for. I'm happy to do what my mom and dad want me to do. If God wants me to date him, he'll change my dad's mind. Did you hear what I just said? There wasn't an ounce of sweat or fret or anxiety in her voice. Christ-likeness is easy, relaxed obedience. I was shocked when I went through the Gospels at how many times Jesus said, For I have not come to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. On my own I can do nothing. Not my will, but thine be done. At the heart of a holy heart is the words, Not my will, but thine be done. At the very core of what it means to be holy and Christ-like, it means a person who has surrendered a will to God and says to Him, Your will, not mine. Let's, just, let's do this together. I'm under your authority. And you're relaxed about it. You're not sweating it. It's easy, relaxed obedience. I love a statement by C.S. Lewis. If you're a chronicle of a Narnia nut, you'll love this. In obeying... A rational creature consciously enacts its creaturely role, reverses the act by which we fail, treads Adam's dance backwards, and returns. He said it in another way. He said to have faith in Christ means, of course, trying to do all that he says. 
there would be no sense in saying you trusted a person if you didn't take their advice. Thus, if you've really handed your life over to Jesus, it must follow that you are trying to obey Him, but trying in a new way, a less worried way. Not doing these things in order to be saved, but because He has saved you. Not hoping to get to heaven as a reward for your actions, but inevitably wanting to act in a certain way because the first gleam of heaven is already in you. Oh, that's beautiful. Number three, moral uprightness. And this gets back, Rob, to the issue of sin. Really, the New Testament, Old Testament word too, the New Testament word is the word blameless. It's, Paul said, I want you to observe how blameless I've behaved myself in front of you. We are to be blameless before Him. The quality of blameless is not absolute perfection. It is moral clarity, moral righteousness. It's simply what I know to do, I'm doing. I'm doing the right thing. Whatever I know, I'm doing it. I'm behaving in that fashion. A holy heart, a Christ-like heart, is a heart so pure it wills to do one thing. And that's the will of God. It's one thing. Dallas Willard said it like this. Dallas Willard was a Ph.D. in philosophy at Southern California University, but he was also, he grew up a Baptist and in the Southern Baptist tradition. I think he was an ordained Baptist preacher. But he was actually a Wesleyan. And somebody asked him a question. You know, the Bible talks about perfection. Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. And I see these dumb bumper stickers. Just for, not perfect, just forgiven. If you got one, please take that thing off. It, that, that, that's, that's not a good theology. It's not good Bible theology. It's making light of something God said. You've got to wrestle with this idea of perfection. It's there. So what does God mean by it? He's not talking about absolute perfection or angelic perfection or Adamic perfection. He's talking about Christian perfection. He, he's, as the Quakers used to say, when we are as He wants us to be, we are perfect. That's Christian perfection. And Dallas Willard, somebody at a college class asked him this question. They said, the Bible talks about perfection, being perfect. What do you think about that, Dr. Willard? And Dallas Willard answered it like this. He said, well, yes. He said, I believe in Wesleyan perfection. That got my attention. And he said, Wesleyan perfection is this. He said, Wesleyan perfection is moment-by-moment perfection. Now, Nancy, have you sinned since this class started? Okay. If you're not aware of it, you hadn't. So you've made it for 45 minutes without sinning. Can God, if He can keep you 45 minutes, can He keep you an hour? If He can keep you an hour, can He keep you two hours? If he can keep you two hours, can he keep you 20 hours? If he can keep you 20 hours, can he keep you a week? That's Wesleyan perfection. Wesleyan perfection is a moment by moment. You and I don't keep ourselves. We don't have the power in our own human energy to do this. But the power of the Holy Spirit living within us, coupled with grace, enables me to walk pleasing to him moment by moment by moment. And as I do that, 
I am what the Bible calls perfect. I am perfectly pleasing Him. That's moral uprightness. It's looking to Him, letting Him live His life through us. And the last one is total dependence on and cooperation with the Spirit. We talked a little bit about this earlier. I don't know how to, I, I feel like I never get this said like I want to say it. But this life that you and I live, it's not lived in our own strength. We live in an American culture, and, and, and I know you're, you're hard-working, uh, red-blooded Americans. You, you, your, your philosophy is, our philosophy is, you need a helping hand? There's one right here on the end of this arm. Now get with it. We have this pull ourselves up by the bootstrap sort of mentality. I'm a man. I can take care of things. I don't need anybody handing anything out to me. Well, that's, that's good in one sense. But when you translate that over into your Christian walk, it can be a bad thing. Because when it comes to this, you and I are utterly, totally, completely dependent on the Holy Spirit's power in our lives to do what we need to do. We cooperate with grace. We join arms with grace. We link with grace. We do our part in all of this. It's, grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. But... At the end of the day, we need Him. Jesus said, on my own, I can do nothing. Now, if He had to say that, what in the world do you and I have to say? We have to have His help. William Temple quoted him the other day. He said, it would be no good giving me a play like Hamlet or King Lear and then say to me, go write a play like that. If somebody said, go write a play like King Lear, I'd drop dead. I couldn't do it. It's no good showing me, he said, the life of Jesus. And then saying, go live like that. Jesus can do it, but I can't. But, he said, if suddenly the genius of Shakespeare came upon me, then I believe I could write a play like Shakespeare. And if the Holy Spirit of God comes upon me and lives in me, then by His grace, I can live the life that Jesus lived. And that life is these internal characteristics, the inner man. For more information about Eastlake Community Church, please visit us online at eastlake-church.com. Or find us on your favorite social media platform, at Eastlake SML. Thanks for joining us.